Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, June 1st, day three of the French Open officially in the books. What does that mean? It means all of our first round matches have now been completed, and yesterday it was the women delivering the upsets. Today, a couple of top-seeded men knocked out as Andre Rublev falls in a five-set affair to Jan Leonard Struve, Felix Ogier Aliassime, knocked out by Andreas Seppi. Want to break down both of those matches today, as well as talk about the other big results. You had top-seeded Ashley Barty pushed to three sets by Bernardo Pera, and of course, so many other matches that caught all of us tennis fans' attention here on the day. But I'm not going to lie. It does feel good to be able to lock in on just the tennis on today's podcast. Of course, there have been so many off-court storylines that, again, have captured the attention of all of us tennis fans through the first few days of action in Paris. Today, it's going to be strictly tennis talk. So again, I've got the match breakdowns for you. We're going to talk Rublev Struff. We're going to talk FAA Sapi. We're going to talk Barty Pair. I'm going to run through the rest of the day's upsets matches that went the distance as well as the other notable results. And then we'll preview what promises to be a splendid and spectacular, we'll go with the two SP words, splendid and spectacular day four of action at the French Open. Of course, the reason we're able to do this podcast day in, day out here at Crack Rackets is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Patreon family, and of course, from our friends at Midwest Sports slash Tennis Point. Now, I've mentioned this earlier in the week, but Midwest Sports now going by Tennis Point. They've dropped the the. It's a little cleaner that way. A shout out to the social network, but most importantly, we are going to have Dave Limke, our friend from Midwest Sports, now Tennis Point on the podcast on Thursday to explain exactly what's going down there. Of course, in the meantime, I have been assured if you need to update your equipment, you can find the best gears at the best prices by still going to MidwestSports.com. You use our promo code CR15. You will still get 15% off your order. Still get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, you will absolutely be sent a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. You'll also let them know we sent you there, which is greatly appreciated by our Crack Rackets team. So, MidwestSports.com, the promo code is CR15. Again, what's the agenda for today's podcast? It's the same as always in these early days of the Grand Slam. We've got a couple match breakdowns for you. I want to talk about as many of these results as I can to provide all of you listeners which at, with as much information as possible heading into the next day's matches. Of course, many of you will be listening to this and day four's matches will have already started. So it'll be it'll be a bit briefer on the preview side of day four. But again, it was a fantastic day of tennis on day three. With that in mind, 
let's get into our match breakdowns in the place we have to start. Number seven seed on the men's side, Andre Rublev, knocked off by Jan Leonard Struff in a five-set affair. Struff earning a 6-3, 7-6, 4-6, 3-6, 6-4 win over the seventh-seeded Russian. And, you know, it's worth noting, Andre Rublev served for that second set. Had he been able to close that one out, he very likely wins this match. But, you know, I think the theme of today's results, it is so critical in modern tennis to develop a second dimension to your game. And of course, when people think Andre Rublev, you're going to think about the power tennis he plays with. Obviously, he's probably the leader of the jet fuel team, of the rocket jet team, which I like to refer to them as, where the ball coming off of his racket just sounds different than 99.9% even of professional players. And it'll take you, what, two minutes of watching Andre Rublev to be like, oh, he hits the ball harder than everyone else. And of course, that is his best dimension. That is plan A, is just to hit through his opponents because 99% of them aren't going to be able to handle the relentless pace. And again, the constant aggression, the constant pressure Andre Rublev puts you under. But you know, one of those 1% who are totally fine playing slap happy tennis, trying to go Mach 5 and top speed the entire time, Jan Leonard Struff, who again, played about as well as you could ask him to play in this match. 25 aces against 11 double faults. That number speaks to the aggression he played with on serve because you cannot let Andre Rublev dictate if you are trying to knock him off, particularly if you're not a Novak Djokovic, not a Rafael Nadal, not one of those top five guys who you know can turn defense into offense and can afford to be in the outer thirds of the court and read and react to Rublev's pace and Look, when Struff plays his best tennis, I want to date back to a mini-break podcast Jamie McDonald and I did in 2019 when we named Struff one of the guys we were watching down the home stretch because when it looks good, it looks really, really good for Leonard Struff. You look for him in his career against top 20 opponents. Now, his record's not going to blow you away. He's 21-58, and 58, but he has earned 21 wins against top 20 players. He's gotten wins over guys like Tsitsipas, like Hachinov, like Shapovalov, like Goffin, like Raonic, like Zverev, and you know Marin Cilic back in the day, Tomas Burdic, uh, Joe Wilfred Songa back in the day, because when he plays his best tennis, he can hit through anyone. And again, that's what he was able to do today. Only made 50% of his first serves, but won 79% of those points now you know, fought off nine of the 13 breakpoint chances he faced and, you know, only converted three of his 15, but did create 15 break opportunities for himself. 63 winners against 55 unforced errors. That speaks to the fact that he was going big. And on these clay courts in particular, you look for Jan Leonard Struff. I mean, clay has always been the surface that he has excelled at the most because it allows him a little bit more time. Think along the lines of the Robin Soderling model, where it is a big backswing. He does take big cuts at the ball. And when you're playing on a quicker surface, you just don't have as much time to do that. But his movement, in my opinion, isn't compromised by the switching of surfaces from the hard courts uh, to the clay. And you look for him in his career, 152 and 174 overall in ATP level matches. That's a 47% win percentage. You look for him on hard courts, he's 88 and 96. You look for him on clay courts, 52 and 58. So again, 
relatively similar win percentages, but the notable thing is, you know, there's not much drop-off in his statistics. You look at his break percentage. He's one of those players who, again, you give him a little bit more time to look at a look at a second serve. He becomes a more effective returner on the clay. His return points one jump 2.6% from 35% to 38, uh, 37.9%. So, you know, again, that's where your 2.6 is. That's not, you know, end the world good. That's not a jump from like a top 50 player to a top 10 player, but that is incremental improvement. And you look at his service numbers, he's, his second serve uncompromised on, in the switch from hard courts to clay. And, you know, his first serve uh, win percentage does dip off a little bit, but you look at his hold percentage, he's still in that 77 to, you know, eight, eight, 78% range and his serve points one only a drop off by 1.5%. All of these numbers, as always, coming from our friends at Tennis Abstract. The point being, his aggression translates across surface. And again, those numbers in terms of his overall record at the ATP level. You know, meanwhile, uh, the big thing in this match, Andre Rublev had his chances. As I mentioned, he served for the freaking set uh, early on in that second set. I believe it was 5-4 when he was serving for it, and he got broken, and he just played a bad game. He played a rushed game, and that was the theme it felt like for Rublev throughout the course of this match was just how rushed it felt like he was playing. And again, he did serve for the match up 5-4. Uh, he had a 5-2 lead at one point in that uh, set number two and just it was sloppy. It was sloppy tennis from Rublev throughout this one and you look at the numbers for him. It's funny because you know 65 winners against 47 unforced errors on the surface you think well that's a pretty good performance. That probably speaks more to Jan Leonard Schroof taking advantage of his chances but you know, that's not the case. We talk about 50% of a first serve percentage for Jan Leonard Struve. You know, Rublev was at 47%. And yes, he won 77% of his first serve points, 56% of his second serve points, but he played more second serve points than he did first serve. 74 on the first serve, 85 on the second serve. Again, Struve felt like the one who was always on his front foot, always pushing Rublev back. And I think the net points reflect that fact very well as also, you know, Struve 30 of 53 at the net, which isn't great, but Rublev was only 10 of 13 on his net points. In a five-cent match to get to the net only 13 times, A, speaks to the decisiveness with which Jan Leonard Struff played. He was, whenever there was a ball in the center third of the court, Rublev was, uh, Struff, excuse me, was changing directions, going big down the line or just big to the open space and following that in. And, you know, again, shout out to the Roland Garros website where we have a chance to look at the match rally lengths and, you know, who succeeded when. Struff's decisiveness manifests in these numbers. He was 129 points on the 0-4 to four shot rallies compared to Rublev's 111. Now, you extended the rally past five shots. The, you know, overall skill set, the, uh, there's no denying Rublev's a better mover. I think his ground strokes are more dynamic as well. You know, he won 59 of those five-plus shot rallies to uh, Struff's uh, 41. But again, Struff took care of his serve. He was only broken four times in this match, and you know uh, that m- the majority of those breaks came in sets uh, two, three, and four, which were again the three sets it felt like Rublev had to have, and that he wasn't able to get that second set. It's a credit to Struff playing well in the big moments, and then Struff got an early break in the fifth set. He held on to that break. He served so effectively in that fifth set. You look at the numbers again. I mentioned the fact he made only fifty percent of his first serves, only made forty one percent of his serve uh, first serves in set number five but was 22 of 32 
on service points and, you know, fought off the two breakpoint chances he faced and, you know, was just efficient throughout the set and just continued to uh, take it to Rublev, keep Rublev on his back foot, not let Rublev establish himself. And, you know, what does Andre Rublev establishing himself look like? It means he's hitting forehands on the ad side of the court and he's moving you inside out, inside out until he's created enough space to work the inside in. You know, I don't have the specific numbers here, but I really don't think Rublev hit that many inside-in forehands in this match, or at least not many with his feet set. And again, that's a testament to Struff. Take it to Rublev, not allowing him to get in the rhythm, understanding, hey, I got to finish points early, and I got to be the one on my front foot moving forward. Struff was able to do that, and you know, again... You look for Jan Leonard Struff overall in these last 52 weeks, 22 and 23. That's not great, but he is number 42 right now in the rankings. He does have wins, you know, uh, made a final in Munich about a month ago. And you go back to the ATP Cup. He actually took a set off Rublev there, played him pretty tight. It was, uh, you know, he, he loses the match in three, but it is a match that goes three and made a quarterfinal in Cagliari as well, where he lost in three sets to Basilashvili, who I believe went on to win that event. And, you know, you look for him in Rome. He actually played Rublev tight there as well, losing in three sets. And coming into this one, you thought, well, the speed of the Rome surfaces, that certainly must have been what helped Struff play that match so close. No, that's not the case. Rublev just, uh, excuse me, Struff just has this sort of decisive game to give Rublev problems. And again, long term, do I have any concerns about Andre Rublev after this match? No, I don't. You're not going to get an instant reaction from me. Does this change Andre Rublev's future? What does Rublev have to do to get back to where he was one month ago? just has to play better. He didn't play his best in this match. That's the takeaway from this, and it's a credit to Struff, who played the sort of game style that makes you play bad as an opponent. Uh, But again, 170 total points won by each of these men in this match. It was an either-or match, and the either, I suppose, or the or, went to the more decisive of the two players, and that's Andre. uh, (laughs) I'm screwing up all the names here. I'm recording this very late. I won't tell you what time it is. I do apologize for that if I misspeak, but again, the more decisive player was Jan Leonard Struff. He advances to the second round and knocks off number seven seed Andre Rublev, who we never discussed as one of our top contenders because it really didn't feel like he was playing that well coming into this match. And, you know, he has played so much tennis of late. You date back just to the resumption of the tour in August. He's a guy who's played 71 matches in these past nine months. That's a full season's worth. And folks, we're only at May. He's still got the grass court season. He's still got the summer hard courts, the U.S. Open. He's got the Asian swing. Those are the courts and the surfaces uh, where you imagine Rublev's going to play his best tennis. Am I concerned about burnout? No, because now he's got two weeks of rest and relaxation, and I actually think no one could use two weeks off more than Andre Rublev, but I mean, look, uh, you look at the losses, I think we have a type emerging. He's His last, we'll say, six losses, he lost to Struff, Sinego, Isner, Sinner, Tsitsipas, and Hercots. What do all of those players have in common? Sans, maybe Hercots? They can keep you on your back foot. They can take the match off your rack, and again, That's where that second dimension comes in. Rublev getting a little bit better in terms of being in the outer thirds of the court playing defense. That's something, obviously, if he wants to be number one in the world, he needs to improve at. But this is one loss, and again, in a vacuum, it was a match he probably should have won. 
No long-term concern for Andre Rublev. We often ask, did did Struff win the match? Did Rublev lose the match? Struff won this match. He advances to the second round. Now, no concern after, uh, about Andre Rublev coming out of this loss. I am a little bit concerned about Felix Ogier Aliassim, who drops it a puzzling, I don't know what else to say, a puzzling four-set decision to Andreas Seppi. And let's be clear, it's not as though Andreas Seppi has been playing, you know, world-beating tennis over these past few months, past few years even. You look for Seppi right now, he's a guy who's currently ranked number 98 and as such has played a ton of challengers this year. And look, he did win the challenger in Biela. Uh, but you look at his two results coming into this event, he lost to Matthias Bockinger, round of 16 in Biela 4, although that was coming right off of his title. He lost Sebastian Corda, who ended up winning the event in Parma, but he's 15 and 16 in his last 52 weeks. You know, was a loss to Cuevas first round of the Australian Open. That never happens five, six, seven years ago. And, you know, he lost to Del Bonis first round Parma challenger, lost to Corda first round French Open last year, has two losses to Musetti, and, you know, he's been losing to guys like Salvatore Caruso, Sun Wu Kwan, Bradley Klon. Uh, just. He's playing challenger-level tennis, which is not to be dismissive because how often do we frequently talk about the parity between the guys at the challenger levels and the guys in that 50 to 100 ranked range? Um, The parity in men's tennis, the parity in tennis across the board has probably never been better than it is right now. You just got to get hot in the right week and you can make a run at any level, but this was a bad loss. For Felix Ajir Aliasim, who is now 14 11 in the 2021 season. That, you know, you include that in 2020, he was 23 and 19. I don't want to say the book is out on him, but we talk about the one dimension. He is one dimensional. Like, it is one speed for Felix Ajir Aliasim. Big serves, big forehands, try to work your way uh, forward. Uh, you know, win the the rallies that are zero to four shots, and that's what he did really well today. He won ninety points that were zero to four shots compared to Seppi's number of seventy nine. And when he was able to land first serves, get into his patterns, he looked like Felix Oshier freaking Ali Asim, the the talented young junior, former world junior number one guy who set so many records on the challenger level when he was fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years old. But that's still the same player we're seeing today. And the, the numbers that are concerning in the five-plus shot rallies, Seppi won 63 of them. Felix won 47 of them. And you just look at the superficial numbers from this match. 36 winners for Felix against 60 unforced errors. Again, not to get Yiddish on you, that's Nishkeet. That's not very good. Versus Seppi, who just had to be the steadier of the player, keep the ball in, wait for the Felix error because it felt like Felix was pressing. And, you know, Seppi, 29 winners against 39 unforced errors. That's not beat your chest. I played out of my world. I'm treeing. That's just solid performance for him. And he made, you know, only 54% of his first serves, but won 59% of his second serve points. That's concerning that Felix had a higher first serve percentage. And, you know, again, went to the net more often than Seppi. He was 10 of 20 at the net versus Seppi 7 of 7 and, you know, had fairly equal amount of breakpoint chances to Seppi, 4 of 13 for Seppi, 2 of 12 for FAA. That's concerning. And again, I, I got into a conversation on Twitter earlier today, 
And, it, you know, uh, one of the takeaways, because a lot of people were concerned certainly about this match. And, you know, I like to crowdsource. I want to hear what's the vibes on the ground. How's everyone feeling about this? And I turned uh, to one of my friends, uh, you know, who I know is a coach out there and I know also listens to this podcast from time to time in Temba McCourty. And I said, hey, Temba, you know, what are the issues with Felix? And here's what he listed out. He said, I don't think he quite understands yet how to win majority of his points. Doesn't create much pressure off his forehand, primarily because he hits open stance on every ball. And by the way, uh, to my boy Temba, that's exactly the sort of nuance I was looking for. So thank you for responding to my tweet. He also said needs to become a better spot server, and he needs to move more linear than lateral. I can't disagree with any of that. You watch Felix play, it's very, very, uh, you know, it's very north-south. Like, it, it really is hit ball, or you see ball, hit ball big, try and get to the net. It's indoor tennis at its finest. And, you know, obviously the Canadian background, you can understand, played a lot of indoor tennis growing up in that power gear. He's part of the Andre Rublev crew where it sounds like a rocket ship is taking off every time he strikes the forehand properly. And again, he won the majority of the zero to four shot rallies. When he was able to land that big first serve, uh, he won 69% of his first serve points, 54% of his second serve points. He was only broken four times in four sets. That's not horrible. And it really did feel like had he won that second set breaker, this is a completely different match. But it is concerning for Felix Ogier Aliasim. Again, you look at the numbers for him just over the past few seasons, things have sort of started to stagnate. He won. of his first serve points in 2019, his big breakthrough season when he went 38-25 and and broke into the top 30. Well, by the way, I think someone, I think this was my boy Gil Gross who tweeted this. Um, He was ranked two years ago, number 21 in the world. Two years later, he's still number 21 in the world. That peak ranking of number 17 has never really climbed higher than that. And, you know, again, I mentioned that 2019 first serve win percentage, 74.4. He's only at 75.1 right now, which is good. It's very good, but it hasn't taken the jump you'd expect. And you look again, second serve percentage, he was at 49.3% in terms of winning, and now he's at 50.1. It's good. It's not great. Hold percentage, 2019, 81.8. Now it's 82.2. The the thing that really has improved is he has become a better returner. You know, his break percentage has jumped by about 7%, and he is winning about 3% more of his return points. So he has improved on the margins, but we've yet to see that big jump from him. And again, it feels like a lot of time it's a two steps forward, three steps back, four steps forward, two steps back. It's just puzzling. And you look at his last three matches, he's now lost three in a row to Seppi, Musetti, and Delbonis. Those are all matches he very likely should have won. And, you know, he did beat Schwartzman in Rome. And in Barcelona, he beat Shapovalov, and he actually beat Musetti in three sets. And, you know, again, in a vacuum, the losses he's taken this season to Karatsev in five sets in the round of 16 at the Australian Open. You can totally understand that as on Karatsev's the GOAT, as we refer to him here on the Mini Break Podcast. But... A straight set loss to Nishikori in Rotterdam, indoor match, that's puzzling. Losing in three sets to Acapulco, that's one of those two set, uh, to Tsitsipas, that's one of those two step forward moments where he looked really, really good. And then, you know, you lose a six and six match to Isner in Miami, whatever. Uh, yeah, that is what it is. Um, six and one to Garen in Monte Carlo. Again, it's on clay, that is what it is. Losses to Rude and Tsitsipas on clay, it's tough draw for him in Madrid, but that. You know, you'd like to see him win one of those, right? Not lose all of them, but just sneak one of those out. And he did get a good win over Chapo and Barca. And he has beaten Musetti 
and played him three sets in Lyon as well. But it just feels like, again, it's one dimension. If if the serve is landing, if he's hitting the forehand confidently, he probably wins on that day. If not, he probably loses on that day. And this is not, by the way, I apologize for not talking about Andreas Seppi, but with all due respect to the 36-year-old, what do we not? What are we going to talk about Andreas Seppi? What are we going to learn, uh, 37-year-old, excuse me, about his game today that we didn't already know? It's crazy to me that someone born in 1984 is already 37 because I'm like, oh, how does that mean I'm pretty close to 30? Uh I'm not that close to 30. I've still got some time. Anyways, FA is the story, right? Because the backhand—I'm a believer. You guys know that. I have my tier, my players who I'm a thousand percent sure are going to leave the 2020s with a Grand Slam title under their belt. I think Tsitsipas is going to do it. Medvedev's going to do it. Lord Voldemort, a.k.a. Alex Virov's going to do it. I think Sinner's going to do it for sure as well. And then I will continue to have FAA on that list of players who I will just be shocked. I really will be shocked if he leaves this decade without a Grand Slam title. Of course, Dominic Team was on that list, but he's already captured the title, so he moves off of it. Because I just think when it looks good, it does look that exceptional. And again, I do think that top gear is as good as a Tsitsipas is. It's as good... Tsitsipas is the comparison because Tsitsipas plays front foot tennis and yet Tsitsipas has developed the athleticism to hit out of the outer thirds to get creative and you know play with variety when he needs to play short angles and FA just hasn't quite developed that yet. And again, it's worth remembering Felix Ogier Aliassime, born in 2000. He doesn't turn 21, can't legally have a drink until August 8th in the United States. And who knows, if if the trends continue around that August 8th time, he's going to be like, double shot, please, ASAP before we head to New York. At the same time, it's concerning. It is concerning that we haven't seen that second gear developed for him yet, but I'm done repeating myself. Uh, FAA knocked off by Seppi. Seppi just the more solid of the two players. Again, if FAA wins that second set tiebreaker, which he loses 10-8, it may be a completely different match. But in the end, Seppi too solid, works him to the outer thirds. He advances to round number two. Now that's enough talking about the players who struggled today. Let's talk about someone who managed to scrap their way to victory, as she always does, and that's Ashley Barty. And by the way, I wrote a piece for our website, CrackRackets.com, listing my top five contenders to take home the women's singles title. You can go read that now. Barty's obviously on that list. Of course, she is also nursing a left hip injury, and you could tell she is struggling with her movement. You know, when I say struggling, it's still better than 99% of players because she's Ashley freaking Barty, and you're not going to find a better pound-for-pound athlete in the women's game than her. At the same time, Bernarda Perra can ball. And you guys, I've I've talked about Bernarda Perra. I say you guys. You listeners have likely heard me speak about her in the past, but... Look, for Bernardo Pera, lefty game, tricky. It's always a tricky matchup for Barty, given how reliant she is on that one-handed, uh, on hitting that slice backhand. And, you know, again, Barty, or Bernardo Pera had no shame in just parking the bus on that corner and attacking that wing. Attack, 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 until she drew the slice or worked Barty over enough into the outer third of the court to go down the line, to to play the big ball to the open space. And again... This match going three had as much to do about Bernardo Pera as it did with Ashley Barty's performance. And I do think you look for Bernardo Pera, who's 12-20 and 20 in her last 52 matches. But you look, again, in terms of uh, those losses, uh, I believe 12-20, uh, and 20, so that's 32 matches, 
20 of them have gone three sets. She's 5-15 and 15 in those three-set battles, which is just tough because she always does seem to get close and just can't quite get over the finish line. And it felt like the sets for her to take in this match were sets one and sets two, where, again, she played Barty essentially to a draw. And you look overall in the match, when Para was able to land first serves, she was more successful than Barty. She made 61% of her first serves, won 66% of those first serve points compared to Barty 60%, uh, you know, hit 36 winners to Barty's 18, but did hit 49 unforced errors to Barty's 25. That's a testament to Para again, recognizing I need to dictate, I need to go for my shots. Barty's going to lull you to sleep with those backhand slices, move the ball around the court, and then the moment you give her something in the center, her footwork is so exceptional that she gets around that ball, hits the big forehand either inside in, inside out, works her way forward. You know, only got to the net five times in this match. And again, I think that's a testament to Bernarda Para keeping Barty on her back foot. But look, third set, I think it's 2-all, 30-all, net court goes Barty's way, uh, and Parrish gets to that ball, but it leaves so much open court, Barty's able to hit it easily to the open court for a passing shot. That set up the break point, Barty got the break then in the third set, and from there she kind of cruised, and you know, again, Bernardo Parra really, really close in this match and did a lot of things, so I love the way she opens up the court with her forehand. I love her discipline as well, and I do love the way she competes. I know 5-15 and 15 in three-set matches... That's not great. Uh, you know, that's not great, Jim. Uh, you would like to see if she wants to get inside the top 50, which I think she has the talent to do, she needs to come over the finish line in some of those matches. And I'm looking at the three set losses. I mean, you know, three set losses to Barty, Muguruza, and Benchich all in the past month. A three set loss to Kuder Matova as well in April. I see a couple of three set losses to Sarah Cerebes Tormo, to Serena Williams, Maria Sakari. It's tough. It's tough sledding for Bernarda Pera. At the same time, I do see progression in her game. I do think she continues to get better and better. At the same time, you know, let's talk about Ashley Barty now and her performance in this match. You look uh, for Barty in this one. Again, what are the things she does so well? Well, she executed on her first serve. She made 66% of them, won 60% of those points, actually won 63% of her second serve points as well. You start to look at the length of rallies. She, you know, played Pera. I would say pretty evenly across the board. 56 shot, you know, she won 56 of the points in the 0 to 4 shot rally. She's got that gear as well compared to Paris 54 and then she won 35% uh 35, excuse me. She won 35 total points of the 5 plus ball rallies to Paris 30. She was better than Para, a little bit better at everything in this match. And again, it's a testament to Para's level that she was able to play Barty as close as she was. And I do think as the match went on, there was the adrenaline kick, and Barty started swinging through her two-handed backhand return a little bit more. And I'm not concerned about Ashley Barty moving forward because, again, if she's even if she's not healthy, you're not going to find someone who competes better than Ashley Barty, who, by the way, has only lost five clay court matches since the start of the 2019 season. She's 28-5 and this season overall as well. And I mean, you look at the losses, it's Mukova, Collins, Bedosa, Sabalenka, Goff, given the context of the season, those are all acceptable losses. She's a stud. There's a reason she's one of the contenders, top three favorite to win this event. You want to read more on that? Again, go to crackrackets.com. But she competed super well because uh, Bernardo Pera brought her A game in this match, and in the end, Barty was just able to stay alive, 
put enough balls in the court, extend rallies long enough in Bernardo Perez's service game, and then again, got the lucky net court when she needed it in the third set, took advantage of that opportunity. It's one thing to get lucky. It's another to take advantage of that luck. She's able to do it, and as always, she advances to the second round of this French Open. Now, Again, I know that was a little bit shorter of a breakdown. I think we all know what an Ashley Barty win looks like at this point. There are some other matches I want to run through, though. Let's talk about the upsets, the match that that went the distance. Not that many upsets on the day overall. Only three men's seeds uh, were the only seeds knocked out. I talked about Rublev and FAA. The struggle on clay, hey, great shot on uh, on that rhyme. You know, Ugo and Bear did not have a good clay court season. And to lose a match to Ricardus Barankis on clay... It's not great either. Uh, Barankis, 6-4, but Umber just had a lot of difficulty ending points all clay court season long, and we've already seen him have success on the grass, and his game is just tricky enough. He hits that flat backhand, loves to hit the slice serve out wide, and the condensed backhand backswing also helps him on the return of serve on the grass, but... You know, Barankis worked him around the court, and it just felt like Barankis had the bigger weapons of the two players, and that's noticeable. I'm not super concerned, but, you know, again, that's why Umber's ceiling as good. I think he's going to be really good for a long time. I don't know if he's ever going to be great, and when I say I don't mean he's going to be great, I mean I don't know if he's got top 10 in him. Again, he's going to be seated at a lot of slams in this 2020 decade. Uh, do I think there's a Grand Slam final in his career? I don't know about that. Maybe if things break right, a semifinal, a quarterfinal, and you suppose at that point anything can happen. But Barankis took it to him, and if you haven't watched Ricardo's Barankis, if he was six foot two, he would be the best player in all of men's tennis, and I don't think it would be particularly close. Of course, some of you are thinking, well, duh, like if anyone was, blah, 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 you're, it's a whole different game style. Allow me to have some fun, okay? Allow me to enjoy the shot making quality of Ricardo Barankis, who again took it to Umber earns the four-set victory. Now, again, those are your upsets. None for the day on the women's. We had all of them yesterday, but there were a couple of women pushed to three-set. Annette Conteve, she's going to be thanking the stars. I, You know, for me, it's a Jewish star on the chest. I think for her, it's a cross on the chest. Whatever it is, your symbol to thank the gods, she should have done it after her match today. 6-7, six, 7-6, seven, seven, six, six love over Golubic, who... I almost sent out the tweet. It's in the drafts. I'm not, I wasn't sure Golubic is the best player in the world, but I'm no longer sure that at times she's not the best player in the world because her firepower, particularly the one handed backhand when it's swinging through, winner after winner after winner. And she served for this match up 7 6 5 4 on Conteve. And it, you know, I, I almost sent out another stat. I think she was down 4 2, and Conteve took off the visor. And what? She won five of the next, uh, I'm doing the math here, five plus six is 11, 11 of the next 13 games once she took off her visor. So maybe it was a visor thing for Conteve, but I just think Conteve is really, really good. She doesn't quit. She's super confident right now. I talked about it with Jeff Sackman in the GSP we did yesterday, so I won't repeat myself when we talked about some of the top women's contenders. I just think it's really hard to beat her right now, and her record reflects that fact she can do a little bit of everything, doesn't have the overwhelming power, but moves the ball really well around the court, solid off of both wings, comfortable hitting the swinging volleys and moving forward, and again, does a really good job of setting up the space in her patterns in terms of spot serving as well. I was surprised Golubic went away in that third set, but I think 
in her mind, she's like, I should have won this match in straights, and she really should have, but Annette Conteve continues to show her fight. I'm telling you, folks, she's the number 30 seed in this event. That's too low. She's a top 20 player right now. I know you can say that about a lot of WTA players, but I am convinced Conteve belongs in the top 20. That was a good win for her. Good win for Karolina Mukova to flip her match on Petkovic, who I believe at times is a fellow Tennis Channel Podcast Network podcaster, so shout out to the fam, but one six six three six four. Look, Mukova's just good, man. All-around game, very, very comfortable. Comfortable mover on the surface as well. She advances. Ditto for Fiona Farrow, who I'm telling you, underrated folks. Look for the Fiera, uh, Fiona Farrow push. If you've been listening to this podcast since the tour resumed in August, you know I fell in love with her game in Palermo at the start of uh, the, uh, the post-pandemic play, or the restart, I should say, in August, and I think she was, what, fourth round here last season, and I just, she moves so well in the clay. Again, I'm not, it's the female Tommy Paul. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Three-set win for her over Liang. Uh, we had a win from Wong over C7-5 in the third, Krejcikova over Pliskova, 6-2 in the third, and then... How delightful was it to see Carla Suarez Navarro, who noted, you know, public battle with cancer. She's been very open about her recovery process, and she's been very open that this is her last season of play. And, you know, not to pile on because everyone's already had this take, but I agree with it very, very much. Come on, French Tennis Federation. You're going to play that match as a night match and not offer Carla Suarez Navarro the crowd she deserves after her career, after all she's given to the day, like to the game. That's just a bad scheduling choice. It's another bad decision by the French Tennis Federation. Those bad decisions are starting to pile up. But, you know, again, you know who's dangerous if she can get a couple of wins and some confidence under her belt? Sloane Stevens, who finally is starting to play some better tennis of late. 6-4 in the third, she advances over Suarez Navarro. I promise you the LTA, the Wimbledon, uh, they will give Suarez Navarro the proper send-off. I think now after the response today, everyone is well-attuned, well-aware to the fact that, again, she deserves to be playing in front of crowds. So, you know, again, those are the women's matches that went the distance in terms of your men's matches. I already mentioned Struf Rublev. Mikhail Ymer, the talented young Swede, 6-2 in the fifth set. He takes it over Carbeas Benia. You drop a set by a bagel in the second set, and you can come back and win. That's a successful day at the office. Successful day for Immer as he advances. Now, in terms of the other results, again, just want to run through everything so you guys have the full picture. The seeds that advanced in straight sets. Number five seeds, Fidelina. Comfortable in her first victory. Ditto for Jennifer Brady. A 3-3 three and three win over Sevastova. That was one of my aces of the day. That's just an impressive performance. Sakari cruised. Alexandrova cruised over Venus. And, you know, again, I don't say that. That, it, that hurts me to say, but Alexandrova's been excellent. I'm you guys know my thoughts on Alexandrova. First of all, all Alex's stick together. And, you know, again, her flat, it's flat ground strokes, but it just works. Like, it really does work. And, again, she just out-hit Venus from all aspects of the court, was aggressive on second serve returns, served well. She advances in straights. Nice win for Owen Jabour, 7-5-6-2 over Putin Seva. That first set was exactly what I expected it to be. I thought Putin Seva may fight back and you know, keep her level up in the second, but she kind of went away. And again, I think that's a testament to how physical that first set was. Uh, two other seeds to mention, Coco Goff, when she escaped with that 7-6 first set, and the quality between her and Krunik in that first set was immensely, that first set breaker in particular, immensely high. But 6-4 and four win for the number 24 seed, who's just dangerous, folks. She's absolutely dangerous right now. She's only 17, and she's not even close to her prime, but she's starting to play better and better, and just starting to 
looks so confident on the court that she and not that she's ever lacked confidence but just it's starting to click and that is a scary thing uh, for the rest of the tour because she can do so many different things on court and she does have that powerful first serve when it's landing and again it's landing now Uh, so good victory for her I think her level only improves from here and then I'm just gonna say it in a in a in a grand slam where everything is going wrong wouldn't it be fitting that Karolina Pliskova ends up in the winner's circle, the number nine seed, a really impressive five and four win over Donna Vekic and what was a really high quality match. And, you know, I made the case in the article. So again, I don't want to repeat myself too much. Go read it on our website, crackrackets.com. But, you know, she's the, she's the queen of Rome uh, finals. I think there are three straight seasons, if not four. And obviously that's a quicker surface than the surface here in Paris. But when the first serves landing, when she's playing decisive, confident tennis, it's just on her terms. And that's what this match was, on her terms. And, you know, Donna Vekic, that was actually the best level I've seen from Vekic, who struggled with a bunch of different injuries in quite a bit of time. But Pliskova advances, 5-4. and four, And again, she just looks confident. There's there's a buzz around her. It's an eye test thing. Just watch her matches. I, I know tennis, It's really, I say this all the time, the one good thing about tennis is it's it's very simple to see, oh, forehand good, backhand bad. Oh, this is working. This is not working. Oh, that player's carrying themselves confidently. Oh, that player's slumping their shoulders. There's a confidence, a quiet confidence to Pliskova right now. And she's on the top half of the draw, which has Barty, which has Sviantek, which has Svitolina, and that's a tough, tough half to be on. But just keep your eye on Karolina Pliskova. That's all I want to say on that. I'm sure there will be more on her later. And again, good performance from her to knock off Vekic 5-4 and four in terms of your other uh, women's winners on the day. Young American Ann Lee's coming, folks. 0-1 victory for her over Gaspar Jan. That's just, that's a damn good win. And it completed our parlay, so shout out to her. Bladenovic gets a win. If she's hot, that's always a tough matchup. Lynette, Paulina, particularly after last year, didn't Mladenovic blow a 6-1-5-0 lead last year at the French Open? If I'm wrong, at Great Shot Pot is where you find me, but I'm pretty sure I'm right on that one. So good victory for her. Lynette, Paulini, Sharma, Lepchenko, your other women's winners on the day. In terms of the men's side, 2-4-2 for Djokovic over Sandgren. I mean... He's Novak freaking Djokovic. Oh, is, why did he play Belgrade? He's going to use all of his energy before he gets to the French Open. How is he expected to beat Nadal? This is me attacking the straw man of anyone who got mad at me when I was like, ah, I think Novak Djokovic knows what he's doing, and he's loyal to his Serbian crowd. He's going to go play that Belgrade event. He got two days of rest in between that final and this match here today, and yeah, he looked damn good against Tennis Sandgren today. You know, Popperin should have won the the third set against Rafael Nadal, and Alex Popperin played with the sort of decisiveness you need to play with when you're playing Rafa. Huge serves, huge forehands, going for broke in the rally, not being, you know, not getting uh, baited into playing Rafa's patterns, Rafa's game, but Rafa's freaking Rafa, and he looked awesome in those first two sets, and again, for him to scrap his way out of a little adversity in set number three, that's exactly what you want in a first-round match. If you're 13-time Roland Garros champion Rafael Nadal, who advances in straights, Berrettini looked fine, four-set win for him, Schwartzman, straight-set win that honestly might have been the best he's looked in in at least two months. Good win for Demonauer in three. Good win for Karatsev in three over Jensen Brooksby, who just didn't have a weapon to hurt Karatsev with. And the more Brooksby plays on this red clay, the more comfortable he'll get. Brooksby's coming, folks. He'll be top 100 sooner rather than later. But you got to give a shout-out to our performer of the day, Gael Monfils, who drops that first set 6-1 and just 
given the way his season's gone, you thought, oh no, like, is he really going to lose in straight sets in his front of a home crowd, a rocking home crowd here in Paris? And the answer was no. 7-6-6-4-6-4 in sets two through four to earn the four-set victory. And talk about a man who embraced the crowd today. They helped Gael Monfils. He raised his level accordingly. That was a very fun match. And, you know, again, Ramos Vinolas doesn't have the big weapon to hurt you with. He goes for his patterns. He tries to wear you down. Monfils was having none of it. And he hit through his backhand confidently. He opened up the inside out, inside and forehands when the moments called for him. His serve got better and better as well. Now, that was a tough physical test. And he only has one day off. And you do wonder how he's going to respond physically on day, uh, in his second round match. So I almost said day two. In his second round match, hey, great shot. But if he's got the crowd behind him, he is just a dangerous player. So that's a good victory for him. Good win for Gasquet. Straight sets as well. Cuevas, Badene, Bagnus, Cole Schreiber, Sunwoo Kwan, who I should have pulled the trigger on in our ace of the day over Kevin Anderson. Four set win for him. He actually served for the fourth set. Anderson got the break back. They go to a breaker. Kwan was able to close it out. He's he's making a jump as well. He belongs in the top 100. Just such a well-rounded uh, skill set. Not many visible weaknesses as well, except for the lack of an overwhelming weapon. But like again, that's a fine weakness that you're going to have a long career if that's the thing you don't do well. Um, he advances in four sets. Duckworth, Coria, Chechenato, your other winners on the day. That's day three in the books at the 2021 French Open. And now, second round play begins on day four. And again, many of you are going to be hearing this, and those matches will already have either started or been played. So, you know, I don't want to get too deep divey into, oh, here's what I'm watching in this specific matchup. Oh, here's the key to this battle as well. I'll just say this. Up and down the board, Benchich Kasatkina. I may stay up till 5 a.m. to watch that match. Kudermatova, Sinyakova, all in on that one. Madison Keys, Leila Fernandez, tattoo that on my arm. Victoria Azarenka versus Clara Tawson was literally feels like a match that was built for me. The women's match is all going to deliver the goods. Just keep the eye on Azarenka Tawson simply because, you know, I don't want to say there's a lot of similarities between Kuznetsova and Tossin, but Kuznetsova, first strike ability, her power gave Azarenka troubles in their first match, and I think Tossin can do that again tomorrow against Azarenka. That was one of my aces of the day, is that match going over two and a half sets, so if you want to hear the full breakdown, I suppose go listen to that podcast. Leila Fernandez is an odds maker's favorite over Madison Keys. That's, I think, more testament to the lack of continuity and the lack of consistency in Keys' results of late, but... You can understand why. And that's an interesting matchup as well to see how the young Fernandez handles the overwhelming power of a Madison Keys who looked about as good in her first round match as she has maybe this entire season. I mean, even Herzog, Garcia, Pavlochenkova versus Tomjanovic, the second round's going to be freaking awesome on the women's side. And then, of course, on the men's side, you've got a bunch of battles as well. Some certainly very, very fun matches. I mean... Fucevic Fodnini feels like a match we've seen. Fuch- uh, that was one of my aces of the day. So if you want to hear more on that one, go check that out. Opelka Munar, I'm in for the handshake as well, just to watch the height difference. But that's going to be spectacular. Nishikori Hachinov should be really, really fun as well. Medvedev versus Tommy Paul. Uh, Odds makers are expecting that match to go over three and a half sets. I think you should as well. Uh, McDonald versus Christian Guerin, I'm in on. And then the sneaky one. I'm not saying Pedro Martinez Portero is going to beat Stefano Tsitsipas, but I do think he's going to get a set off of him because, again, physically, I think he's going to be able to hang with Tsitsipas. I think he's got the big serve, big forehand to put Tsitsipas under some pressure as well. 
that match is just going to be really, really fun. And then, you know, on a personal note, Marcos Giron versus Guido Pea, that's a fun one for me. Laszlo Gire versus Miomir Kasmenovic, that's a fun one. 2012 me would have been like, oh, Alex Virov's playing Roman Sefillian, that must be for a Grand Slam title. And instead, it's a second round match, and that's a 5 a.m.er as well. So another incentive for me to stay up late. But just overall, second round looks like it's going to deliver the goods. Hopefully, it ends up doing just that. But that's your recap of day three, preview of day four. Again, if you have missed any of the action thus far, you can catch up on everything on our website, crackrackets.com. As I mentioned earlier, we're making picks every night for our GSP Aces of the Day. You can find those on the Great Shot podcast feed, as well as my top contenders conversations with both Gil Gross for the men, Jeff Sackman of Tennis Abstract for the women. I think those pods still hold up right now. So again, if you haven't heard those yet, you can catch up on them, get a broader picture of where we are. Are right now uh, in this 2021 French Open. Uh, but again, you need the more immediate updates Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Crack Rackets. Shout out to Slice Slice Baby, aka Jamie McDonald, who's been killing it with the Crack Rackets Twitter content these past couple of days. So, you know, again, if you want to follow me directly, I'm at Great Shot Pod, but look for a rise in the number of tweets from at Crack Rackets and don't just assume it's me. Most of the time, it's him. And so I appreciate when people give me credit for something funny we do. It's, it's not always me. You know, I like to think it's me 75% of the time. I think Jamie would get mad if I said, no, that's not fair. First of all, anything I think is funny, I'm going to run by Jamie first because if he also thinks it's funny, then I'm like, all right, good, it is funny. Uh, because, it, again, that's that's the culture we've built here at Crack Rackets. And speaking of that culture, shout out to the men's behind the scenes, super producers Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoff for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out. Again, I say it all the time. Imagine being Daniel Westhoff, who edits my voice, sees my face on video, walks out of his little rec- uh, editing studio, and then realizes I'm his roommate across the hall as well. Shout out to him. Shout out to Fliegner. And shout out to our friends at Midwest Point, uh, Midwest Sports slash Tennis Point. Be on the lookout for the Dave Limke podcast later this week where we can get you all up to date on everything happening in that world. And remember, for the best equipment at the best prices, MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. But with that in mind, for our wonderful super producers, Fliegner and Westhoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Tennis Point, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, that's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.